Masculine and Feminine Symbolism in Kabbalah by Lloyd Abrams, Ph.D., FRC. Lloyd Abrams serves on the editorial board of the Rose Quad Journal and is an instructor for Rose Quad University International. He has presented many programs and workshops on Kabbalah. In this presentation, he explains many of the core Kabbalistic concepts and relates them to masculine and feminine symbolism in Kabbalah. When dealing with intangible spiritual or metaphysical concepts, it is helpful to make use of symbols and metaphors derived from familiar everyday experience. Henrietta Bernstein described Kabbalah as, quote, an alphabet of symbols in which a spiritual language is constructed, unquote. Two important symbolic terms in Kabbalah are masculine and feminine. While not specifically denoting men and women, Kabbalistic symbolism draws upon some aspects of these terms to communicate by analogy certain characteristics of spiritual concepts and processes. In Kabbalistic tradition, especially in the Zohar and the teachings of Isaac Luria, while the essential nature of divinity is neither masculine nor feminine, some of the ways in which the deity manifests and relates to the world are differentiated from one another by being conceptualized symbolically as either masculine or feminine. In addition, the processes which create and sustain the universe are understood in symbolic terms drawn by analogy from human reproduction. Kabbalah makes a distinction between the essential nature of divinity and its various emanations and manifestations. The essential nature and highest aspect of the divine is Ein Sof, which means infinite, limitless, or unbounded. Ein Sof transcends all categories of thought. It is an unknowable, formless, and infinite unity, neither masculine nor feminine. While Ein Sof is absolute unity, the world is characterized by duality, pairs of opposites, polarities. The archetypal symbol for this in Kabbalah is the masculine and the feminine. It is the archetype of contrasts or pairs of opposites. Human gender is only one concrete manifestation of this more general concept. Ein Sof creates and sustains the world by emanating the infinite light, Ein Sof Or, which flows downward, giving rise to a series of ten sefirot. Each sefira is a different attribute or function of divinity as it manifests at each successive level. In Kabbalah, the masculine-feminine polarity relates to the direction of this flow, giving and receiving. Specifically, it relates to giving and receiving divine light. This symbolism is based on the process of procreation. The father gives his seed to the mother. The mother receives the seed into the womb, where it takes on the form of the new creature. Giving is thus associated with the masculine, and receiving is associated with the feminine. In one sense, then, each sephira can be seen as both feminine and masculine. 
feminine in relation to the preceding sephira from which it receives the light, and masculine relative to the next lower sephira to which it gives the light. In general, however, each sephira is identified as either masculine or feminine. The father's seed is without form, undifferentiated. It is in the womb of the mother that the embryo takes on form and differentiates into various organs and limbs. Formlessness is therefore associated with the masculine, and form is associated with the feminine. As the infinite light flows downward from Ein Sof, the Sefirot serve as vessels to receive and hold the light. At each successive level of emanation, the vessels become more and more dense, and the light is more and more veiled, eventually culminating in our material world. Light tends to expand infinitely in all directions, while vessels contain and restrict things within boundaries. Therefore, the masculine is associated with expansiveness, while the feminine is associated with restriction. In Kabbalistic terminology, all of these pairs of opposites or complementary concepts are symbolized by the archetype of the masculine and the feminine, giving and receiving, formlessness and form, light and vessel, expansiveness and restriction. Partsufim, faces, are anthropomorphic representations of different aspects of deity. They are personifications of the functions of the Sefirot. Isaac Luria drew upon terms and concepts from the Zohar and constructed an elaborate system of partsufim to describe in detail how the Sefirot relate to each other and to our world. The partsuf of the first Sefira, Keter, is called Arich Anpin translated as the long face or large face. Christian and Hermetic Kabbalah often use the Latin translation of this term, macroprosopus. Keter is also personified as Atika Kadisha, the Holy Ancient One, and as Atik Yomin, the Ancient of Days. The second partsuf, associated with the Sefira Chochmah, wisdom, is Abba, father. The partsuf of Bina, understanding, is Ima, mother. It is said that Chochmah impregnates Bina with the light, and Bina then gives birth to all the lower Sefirot. Abba and Ima personify this idea. It is the metaphorical sexual union between Abba and Ima, father and mother, that generates the downward flow of light that gives birth to the seven lower sefirot. The next partsuf is Zair Anpin, small face, microprosopus. The term small face is in contrast to the large face of Keter. In a way, Zair Anpin is a lower counterpart or reflection of Arich Anpin. Zeir Anpin consists of the next six Sfirot, Chesed, Mercy, 
Gebura, severity. Teferet, beauty. Netzach, victory. Hod, splendor. And Yesod, foundation. These six Firot have been associated with the six days of creation described in the first chapter of Genesis. This is consistent with the metaphor of the sexual union of Abba, Chokhmah, and Ima, Bina, as the creative act giving rise to everything below them. Although it consists of all six of these sefirot, Zeir Anpin is usually represented by the single sefira, Tiferet. The union of Abba, father, and Ima, mother, gives rise to Zeir Anpin. So Zeir Anpin, Tiferet, is also called the sun. It is also referred to as the Holy One, blessed be He. The partsuf of the tenth sefira, Malchut, kingdom, is Nukva, the female. Nukva is also referred to as the bride of Zeir Anpin, who is the bridegroom or the spouse. As Malchut is the aspect of deity that dwells within the material world, it is also called the Shekhinah, from the Hebrew root meaning to dwell, in English, the divine presence. So there are two male-female pairs of Partsufim, Abba and Ima, father and mother, whose coupling emanates the lower Sphirot, and Zeir Anpin and Nukva, the son and his bride whose coupling causes the divine light and its blessings to flow into our world. In the imagery of the Zohar, the union of Tiferet and Malchut also gives birth to human souls, which descend to join with the physical bodies produced by the union of the earthly husband and wife. As Daniel Matt says, quote, when Shekhinah unites with her partner Tiferet, souls issue from the gushing river of Yesod. Stimulated by her passion from below, the stream of souls flows into her. Unquote. Citing Genesis 2.10, which says, And a river went forth from Eden to water the garden. A.E. Waite explains, quote, From the union of the male and female, meaning, of course, in the transcendence, come all souls which animate men. The inference is that the Eden River is that of life, or synonymously, it is the river of souls. And in this case, we shall understand that the higher Eden is the place of divine nuptials, while the garden which was watered by the river was the place of nuptials below. At the moment of the union of the spouse and bride, all souls came forth from the celestial river, unquote. In this system, the relationship between Tiferet and Malchut crucially affects the state of our world. When the Holy One, blessed be He, and the Shekhinah join together in sexual union, this increases the flow of divine light and blessings into our world. But when they turn away from each other, the flow of light and blessings diminishes, and the influence of evil gains strength in the world. Human actions can affect the actions of these parts of theme, as below, so above. 
sinful behavior causes the Holy One and the Shekhinah to turn away from each other. They can be induced to turn toward each other and join together when we live in accordance with the divine will by fulfilling the commandments. There are a total of 613 commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. In his Guide to the Zohar, Arthur Green says, quote, The world as first created was a true Garden of Eden, because the Blessed Holy One and Shekhinah were face to face, joined in constant embrace, like that of Chochmah and Bina. Divine blessing thus coursed through the system without interruption, flowing through all of Shekhinah's hosts and palaces into an idealized lower world as well. Only Adam and Eve's sin disturbed this initial harmony. Since the expulsion from Eden, the union of Tiferet and Malchut, or Blessed Holy One and Shekhinah, has been sporadic rather than constant dependent upon the balance of human virtue and transgression. Unquote. In Sexual Metaphors and Praxis in the Kabbalah, Moshe Idel wrote, quote, The harmonious relation between Tiferet and Malchut, or as this relation was more commonly called, Yichud Kudshabrichu Ushechinte, the unification of the Holy One, blessed be He, and His Divine Presence, is crucial for the welfare of the world. Only when the union between the two divine powers is achieved can the influx stemming from the Ein Sof, the Infinite One, be transmitted to the lower world. This harmony, which was disturbed by the primordial sin as well as by sins in general, can be restored by the Kabbalistic performance of the commandments." Unquote. And again from Arthur Green, quote, He and they, the Kabbalists in particular, share in the task of restoring cosmic oneness, of bringing divine male and female face to face with one another, so that the lights might shine throughout the universe, so that the waters of life might flow through her to nourish and sustain all the worlds below. The uniting of the Blessed Holy One and His Shekhinah became for the Castilian Kabbalists the overwhelming goal of the religious life, and virtually all of the commandments were viewed as part of this effort." Unquote. For the Kabbalist, it is not sufficient to perform the commandments in a casual or automatic way. One has to have the proper kavana, that is, the proper mental intention and focused mind, in order to have an effect upon the upper realm. Prior to performing a commandment, in order to achieve the necessary conscious intention and focus, the Kabbalist recites a formula that begins, quote, for the sake of unification between the Holy Blessed One and His Shekhinah, unquote. Another way to induce the Holy One and the Shekhinah to join together is for a husband and wife to engage in sexual relations in a manner consistent with the commandments and with the proper theurgical intention, kavana. The husband identifies with the Holy One, blessed be he, and the wife embodies the Shekhinah, the feminine divine presence in the world. Again from Moshe Idel, quote, The human pair, 
performing the sexual union is able to induce a state of harmony above. The sexual act is conceived as fraught with theurgical powers. With most of the Kabbalists, this human act both reflects the higher structure and influences it. Therefore, marriage and sexual union have a tremendous impact on the upper worlds. Marriage and sex were transformed into a mystery that reflects a mysterious marriage above, whose success is crucial for both the divine cosmos and the lower universe." Unquote. And from Arthur Green, quote, The Zohar contains glorious descriptions of the correspondence between the upper union and the lower union, assuring the reader that his coupling with his wife carried out within the proper halachic rules and bounded as well by mystical intention, is potentially a holy and cosmos-redeeming act, one that unites the sefirot and draws a holy soul to come into this world. Unquote. Each of the ten sefirot symbolizes the manifestation of divinity on a different level in the sequence of emanations, and each sefirah carries a different divine name. The divine name associated with Tiferet is the Tetragrammaton, composed of the four Hebrew letters yod Hey vav Hey. The divine name associated with Malchut is Adonai, composed of the four Hebrew letters Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yod. Uniting these two divine names with properly focused intention theurgically unites to ferret with Malchut, the Holy One, blessed be He, with the Shekhinah. One way to unite the Tetragrammaton and Adonai is to unite, add together, their numerical values. Each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is also a number, and each word has a number value equal to the sum of its letters. In the Kabbalistic system of gematria, any two words or phrases that have the same number value share a deep connection and are in some way equivalent. The numerical value of the tetragrammaton is 26, and the numerical value of Adonai is 65. Uniting these two names yields the sum of 91. The letters of the Hebrew word Amen, Aleph, Mem, Nun, also add up to 91. Being aware of this numerical equivalence, whenever one says Amen at the end of a prayer or blessing, using the proper Kavanah intention, one is mentally uniting the Tetragrammaton and Adonai, and theurgically uniting the Holy One and His Shekhinah. Another way to unite the Tetragrammaton and Adonai is to combine their letters into a single eight-letter name. This is done by taking one letter at a time alternately from each name until all eight letters have been interleaved into a single new name that symbolically unites Tiferet and Malchut. When saying Amen with the proper intention at the end of a prayer or blessing, the combined eight-letter name can be internally visualized and mentally intoned, 
thereby theurgically inducing the unification of the Holy One and the Shekhinah. There are two forms of this eight-letter name. For blessings, which descend from above, alternate letters are taken first from the Tetragrammaton and then from Adonai. For the Kaddish prayer, which sends praise upward from below, letters are taken first from Adonai and then from the Tetragrammaton. In Christian Kabbalah, the Hebrew letter Shin is inserted into the middle of the Tetragrammaton to produce a five-letter name, yod Hey shin vav Hey, which is a variant spelling of Jesus' Hebrew name Yeshua, alternatively pronounced Yeheshua or Yehoshua. This five-letter name is called the Pentagrammaton, and it is considered to be Jesus' secret name, which has been called the Wonder-Working Word. Shin is the first letter of the Hebrew word Shekhinah and could therefore be used to symbolically represent the Shekhinah. The shape of the letter Shin also resembles an altar with three lit candles, the Rosicrucian symbol for the Divine Presence, which is also called the Shekhinah. Combining Shin with yod Hey vav Hey to form the Kabbalistic name of Jesus, yod Hey shin vav Hey, could therefore be seen as another way to represent the unification of Tiferet and Malchut, the Holy One and His Shekhinah, the transcendent deity and the divine presence in the world.